The nail in the coffin! It's episode number 72 of The Nail. Tom and Travis back at it on another Sunday night. Trav, it was uh, only a week ago that we were last on here, but, uh, you know, the last time you and I were talking, we were getting ready for the Cavs and Raptors to start their series in the Eastern Conference semifinals, and just like that, uh, we're pouring one out for Toronto. Yeah, it's uh, they're not leaving us a whole lot of time to get in and, like, analyze series before the series is over. Which is good, but it's also uh, it's good for them. It doesn't, as far as what we can talk about, leaves a little bit of space there. We got now probably another week before we see another uh, Cavs game. Oh, at least minimum. at least a week. Uh, right. Washington and Boston, I think, are now tied at two, so that series is going at least six, and uh, it'll be a while until we know who the Cavs are going to see in the conference finals. Although, um, let's be honest, does it really matter at this point? I'm I couldn't care less quite frankly LeBron echoed our sentiments but um no I don't know that I know I said I think if you had asked me a couple weeks ago which one I was more interested I would rather play I probably would have told you Washington but I don't really care now I feel like and this is just me talking I feel like it would be a lot less difficult to get up for the Celtics they just seem like a team that would piss you off a little bit more especially the way they were talked up um by a lot of the basketball writing community and and just everything going on with them and in terms of you know getting the number one seed and and everything leading up to it and you know there's certainly no love loss with kelly olenic in this town but um you know we'll have uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that that series whoever the Cavs are going to play my guess is you and I will probably jump back on here again at some point between now and then, because I think it's like at least eight days until the Cavs and whoever play uh, in the next round. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk about this series. It was uh, a quick and decisive four games. Um, I I guess we have to start with LeBron that he's, he's the story uh, of the playoffs for the Cavs. And for that matter, I mean, I think he's the story of the playoffs for the, uh, for the NBA right now. No. I think he kind of has to be. I mean, when, when you've established yourself as essentially the best player in the world, and that's sort of been his his crown for the last eight to ten years, um, and even though he, he's only got a handful of MVPs to show for it during that time, um, I, think to, I think to a man, everybody who voted for um, anybody else in the past would tell you, this is who I voted for for MVP. LeBron's the best player, though. And we seem to be at this place where he's done these incredible things over the last eight to ten years. And he seems to be stepping it up a notch even further. Um, people are sort of questioning at this point, like, does can LeBron get better? And I know they asked him the other day, and even he said, you know, I'm not really sure. Um and normally when that question gets asked, the guy says, oh, yeah, there's things I can improve upon and blah, blah, blah. I think in a moment of of candor, they call LeBron saying, yeah, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm unbelievable right now. And I don't know if I could do better than this. 
I'm glad you went there right off the bat because he's amazing and he, and he's amazing every year, but I mean, what we're seeing right now and the way he's been locked in through these first eight games of the playoffs, I've never seen anything like this. Um, just complete control of the game. Uh, and I, I think a lot about that playoff run two years ago when Kyrie went down and Kevin Love went down and it was LeBron and, and a supporting cast. And, you know, they, they made a hell of a run. They got six games into the finals. But I remember, you, you know, you go back and look at those box scores in, in those finals games. I mean, he was getting high 20s, low 30s in points, but he was taking that many shots to get there. And I remember the, the phrase I kept using as I was watching those games was blunt force trauma basketball. It was just ugly, inefficient, and it was just whatever I have to do to, to like keep us in this or, or win these games. And what we're seeing this year uh, – Today, I mean, if you believe it or not, I, I think he finished with, what, 35 points? Um, he went 11 for 22 from the field, I think. 50%. That was his worst shooting game of the playoffs so far. He hasn't had a game below 50% from the field in, in these eight games so far. Um, well, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you look at you look at his, his stat line for the last eight games. There's just some ridiculous numbers in there. Like the other night he scored like 34 off of like 12 shots or something insane. Like just incredibly efficient. And like you said, yeah, um, a couple of years ago, that the way that he played in those finals was pretty much by design. He had to. He had to slow that game down just to give the Cavs a chance. And so it was a lot of ISO. It was a lot of, uh, you know, him going one-on-one, running down the clock, taking his time and trying to get a shot off. So it resulted in yeah a fairly inefficient, um, inefficient line. But and when you're you know, playing Matthew Dellavedova and James Jones and some of those other guys that they had on the roster, you know, at that point and in the rotation because it was all they had left. I mean, he was doing what he had to do. There there were not a lot of other options to work with. No question, no question. And what we're seeing now is um, the way the Cavs have been moving the ball and the way they're playing now. Even though, and it's funny because we talked about this during the season and we've kind of gone back to it, like, is LeBron getting enough rest, this, that, and the other thing? Um, it's a lot easier to play, you know, 41, 42 minutes a game when you're going to get a week off after four of them. Um, so I think the questions about his rest have been um, probably a little overblown, I think. We're learning that now. Um, we're definitely not immune to that. But um, overall, he doesn't look like he's, he's worn down at all. And just everything he's doing right now seems to be orchestrated. And the thing that I've, I found most exciting is the last couple games. Um, Kyle Corver's role is finally being uh, revealed to us. I think, I think we knew what we wanted it to be and it's finally getting there. Um, and I think that's a, a huge part of that is because of how LeBron's playing. Obviously everything goes through him. So whenever anyone else is doing well, for the most part, that is happening because of what LeBron is doing on the other end. But um, everything he's done so far has been incredible, even by his own standards. Yeah. With Corver, you know, I think through the early part of the playoffs, it really felt like, um, I don't know if decoy is the right word, but that was kind of the role that he was in. It was, it was just a guy that you're going to put out there and you're hoping to get him a couple shots, but it really seemed like, 
his role for the most part was kind of being that guy to stretch the defense out because you know if you're the yeah, opponent you, you had to leave a guy on. You, you can't yeah you can't help off of Corver to go collapse on to LeBron or Kyrie or whomever has the ball down on the block uh you you have to respect Corver's ability and now uh they're you know things are kind of shifted and and defenses are starting to gravitate away from him a little bit and the Cavs are starting to run some different uh some different action to get him even more looks and um it's uh he he is just cashing in one after another and you know that was kind of the the thing I marveled at today was it's like you're obviously going to get the LeBron avalanche but uh then you get Corver heating up and carrying the offense for a while through the middle of the game and then in the fourth quarter after the Raptors had kind of made their last stand and took that lead for a minute uh Kyrie who hadn't really been super efficient through most of the game. Uh, you know, he was distributing pretty well, but uh, his shot wasn't all there for most of the afternoon. And all of a sudden, fourth quarter, he got hot. I mean, he hit that one three-pointer from the right wing, which um, that that's his spot from now until whatever uh, he decides to hang him up, I think. But uh, he hit that shot in the fourth quarter, and then uh, he started uh, getting into the paint a little bit, got to the line. And just so many damn weapons with this team that at the offensive end, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and Kyrie's been, um, it, it's sort of a weird thing because he hasn't been scoring that much, but he's been, um, his assist numbers have been fantastic the last few games. Um, he had, I know he had a, like a, a couple double-digit assist games. He had 10 the other night. I think he followed it up with 11. So numbers we're not really used to seeing from him on the assist side. But shooting wise, he hasn't been scoring the ball as well as we're used to. Him. Um, I think a lot of those, I don't know about you, but it seems like a inordinate amount of those uh, like layups that we're used to seeing those those finishes by the basket where not a whole lot of guys can make them. They're definitely tough shots, but we've been we've become accustomed to to Kyrie making them. We're used to um, him making a disproportionate right. number of those, and it's coming back right. down to exactly. earth a little. Right. And he, I mean, he's he's been a great finisher near the basket for as long as he's as long as we've known him but he was missing some of those and they were sort of uncharacteristic misses for him um he he finally got those to fall today he was had a couple uh interesting little bank shots that you wouldn't normally most guys wouldn't try to bank um a couple really good finishes near the basket so it looks like he's getting back to that um and yeah i mean what we saw from him for that short stretch today i think is is good that he can provide that spark when they need it. I mean, I think we all know, you know, he can score the basketball and, uh, oh God, I just said score the basketball. I hate <laughs> to say that. God damn it. <laughs> um, your your, your just, letter of notification of your fine is in the mail. Yeah, I hate it. Next, I'll be talking about how they uh, defensed somebody. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> first. Uh, kill me. But anyway, anyways, um, no, I think we, he struggled to score a little bit, I thought. And his his scoring numbers won't look like it. He scored, you know, he's in the mid-20s the whole series. But his percentages weren't where, where you'd like him to be. Um, but when LeBron's shooting 16%, 70 uh, it kind of masks that up a little bit. So you can't, like you said, you, it, it all starts with LeBron. And we know that already. But beyond that even, um, this series specifically, um, he was pretty much able to do whatever he wants every game the whole time. I feel like. Yeah. Um, all right. What, one other thing I want to get into here, but perhaps the biggest surprise to me through the first eight games of the playoffs is, uh, Shumpert 
rising from uh, from the dead. He, uh, you, I think we've like kind of talked about this a little bit before, but uh, I, I'm going to bring it up again because I I feel like uh, he he's been a very very uh, valuable contributor off the bench, um, and I'm really surprised. I mean, he's basically become the sixth man for for this team. I, well, I mean, him and Corver, I guess, uh, depending, but. Um, what uh, did, did you could you have envisioned Shumpert being uh, contributing this much after uh, after the regular season or even especially after uh, he was a DNP in game one against the Pacers? Um, I think after game one against the Pacers, we kind of looked at him and we said, well, what, you know, I, we, I think it raised our eyebrows a little bit. And we wondered what the hell he was going to be doing for the rest of the playoffs. Um, apparently that that wasn't really the case yeah i mean he's he's been a huge contributor i want to know about sixth man i want to get into something else here in a minute which is is sort of a foreshadowing question i have for you but Mm. um i don't know i don't know that even after he sat out game one i don't know that i really knew what we'd get out of i don't think i expected him to be given as much as he's been giving but um I think I probably more than you thought he still had still had a valuable role on the team. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, I think while we're on the topic of shooting guards, I think we also need to mention Jr. Uh, you know, one of the big storylines that kind of emerged this week. I can't remember if it was McMenamin or Jason Lloyd that had the story that uh, coming into the series with Toronto, LeBron was expecting to guard DeRozan, and right before the series started. Ty Lue came into a practice session and told Jr. in front of the team, it's your job, your garden DeRozan. And I mean, that's, that's the focal point of the Toronto scoring attack. And um, that was, they, they really kind of put him on the spot to do that. And I, I think what he was able to do, I mean, DeRozan put up big numbers in game three, but for the most part, I, I felt like the Cavs did a, a pretty good job with him. And I think Jr. gets a lot of the credit for that. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I I watched more of DeRozan last series um, than I had at any other point during the season. I don't know why. I just found myself watching a lot more basketball than I'm normally used to watching, especially in the playoffs. I, I typically I typically watch the Cavs, and I'll watch another game here and there. But last series, I watched pretty much pretty much every game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just came away wondering what the hell like does everyone see in this guy? He's he's a really good like mid range scorer. Um, he he's he's sort of kind of odd in that he doesn't really take threes at all for um, a shooter like him. He doesn't really seem to rely on the three ball at all, but he's also prone to just being completely taken out of games. Like he had a game last series where he didn't make a single field goal. Um, and for a guy who's supposed to be, I mean, he was an all-star starter this year. He's supposed to be, you know, one of the, the, the elite scorers in the league. And, and at times he obviously has shown that, but he also doesn't seem to be like, cons- I, I don't know. I don't want to say he's not consistent, but he, he's prone to being taken out of games. And, and I think Jr. was getting a lot of those. I think he fought, he followed out game three, I think, right. Or close to it. I don't think um, he did, but I think he was, in, he was in foul trouble the whole time. At yeah. Least. Um, and I'm not sure how many he ended up with, but 
he was still harassing him quite a bit, and and I and DeRose got his numbers and he got off. But, um, did you at any point feel like an individual game in this series was in doubt? No, no, me neither. No, and to be perfectly and, honest with you, this series, I mean, it was over. I, I I felt like this series was over five minutes after they tipped off game one when there was that steal and the breakaway. And as soon as Kyrie is dribbling the ball, LeBron's pointing to him, telling him to throw it off the the backboard. And when Kyrie throws uh, an alley-oop pass off the backboard in traffic and LeBron comes and trails behind him and throws it down, um, that was it. I mean, that that for uh, Toronto knew they were beat and it just, they never recovered from that. Um, so no, I never not, nothing that happened in any of these games. I mean, today it, honestly, like Toronto was probably the most competitive down the stretch of any of the games today in game 4, and the entire sense in that fourth quarter that I had was not like, oh man, the Cavs might actually kick this one away. It was like Toronto, just fucking stay down already. Like <laughs> who are you kidding? We know where this is going. So it just um, my dad called him the booger you couldn't flick off your finger. Um, <laughs> that's, that's an interesting analogy. I well, I mean, it's not, it, it, not not too far off. No. So um, what? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. My the biggest thing that, that, that stuck out to me a lot. We saw it last series. Um, game three. Tight game at the end of the third. They go on an incredible run with that. LeBron and four backups line up again and I just I'm not totally sure what to expect from that lineup because it was the same one that uh, they went on that run against Indiana with um, what do you think I just don't know what to think of it like is it going to become a more common lineup why are we running the fourth quarters with it obviously we ran with it last game or game three because it worked and they went on an incredible run like right off the bat. Um, I want to say at one point they were outscoring them like 26 to four in the four in the fourth quarter, like something ridiculous. And I, I'm not sure. It, it's just odd to me that this lineup that seems to be pretty deadly leaves like your three of your best players off the floor. Yeah. I mean, you got to keep in mind. It's also the matchup at that point. I think uh, the opponent's always, trying to have their their top guys rested for the stretch run. Um, and that's really the reason that Kyrie and Kevin Love are, are typically on the bench to start the fourth is uh, you're saving them for the last six to seven minutes. And, and they're going to get their rest in there somewhere. Um, LeBron, just because he's apparently not human, can get stretched out a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, I mean, there have been plenty of instances, maybe not quite as much in the in this series, but it wasn't too long ago that you know we were getting nervous with the Cavs not being able to hold a lead going into the fourth quarter because it was a lineup of LeBron and, and a bunch of reserves going cold to start the fourth. Um, I mean, that was even kind of an issue in a couple of the games with the Pacers, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I broadly speaking, I feel really good about the way that Ty Lue's handled their rotations and, and managed minutes and uh, the buttons he's pushing. Um, it's interesting. I mean, there, there are some games when you won't see much Channing Fry at all. And then there's other games where 
he comes in and he's knocking down three or four three pointers. Uh, you know, we haven't really seen much of Richard Jefferson at all, um, but I I would still have a feeling that he's going to play a role here over the next uh, couple of series. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I he's found something with that early fourth quarter lineup, and you know, I, I don't think you could underestimate just the killer instinct to LeBron there either. Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean obviously there is there's something there with um with just I don't know, LeBron being comfortable with those guys and, and sort of moving it through them in a lot of shooters, but overall it's just it's weird to me. And I, I'm not saying it's obviously worked really well, but um I don't know, it's just odd to me that it's that it's worked as well as it has. It seems like one of those lineups you'd put into, you know, sort of buy a few minutes and get Kyrie rest or whatever the case is, but no, they, they come in and run incredibly well for a lineup that I don't know that we've seen that often during the regular season. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, when I look at it, I'm not like, oh, I've seen these guys play together a whole lot, but, um, well, the, it still seems like they're incredibly good. I don't know. The flip side of that is, I mean, what lineup did we see a lot of in the regular season? I mean, it was, I, right. I was getting my oil changed today and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the, uh, the bay at, uh, Valvoline and I'm talking to the guy at the computer next to my car killing time and you know it's like I told him I said it's just been a revolving door during the regular season with with um you know what once one guy comes back another guy goes down or or you know somebody gets food poisoning from bad sea bass or uh god only knows what else so um that actually kind of leads me to my next question are we officially uh done ever allowing anybody to to cook up any sort of storyline in the regular season that's going to have any sort of relevance to the playoffs because I, I kind of felt like we, I, you know, I, I should say I, I always, I mean, all along I felt pretty good about if this team could just get into the playoffs, you know, could we flip the switch? Can we flip the switch? The switch has been flipped. Okay. And, you know, worrying about, uh, Oh, Boston took home court. You know, I don't give a shit. Who cares? <laughs> don't care. You know what? You know what? Oh, actually, so can, I'm so and a, close the sweep at home. I was going to say, in a way, I'm actually glad that Boston has the home court if, if the Cavs get them in the next round, because for the first time in, in these two years, the Cavs will actually clinch a series at home. It's six straight series. Now they've clinched on the road. Um, just the way these things have all worked out. But, um, you know, anything in terms of guys getting, you know, proper rest, continuity, blah, I mean, you, whatever the storyline was from the regular season, um, I just, I'm done with it. And I just, I, I understand that like you and I do this for like what, an hour a week. Um, and, and we don't, whereas like there are guys on the radio that are doing these shows for, you know, in some cases, five hours a day, five days a week, and that's a lot of air to fill, and I understand that. But um, it, it's w- when you get to the serious business time, which is now, um, and and the part of the season when legacies start getting defined and and where it really matters, uh, you know, we we see what the Cavs are and and what they're capable of. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just what? Go ahead, take it. <laughs> no. Um... I guess the thing that surprised me the most about the series we just had, and this is sort of off on a tangent, but I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. I don't really care 
and I can't say that, you know, at the end of next regular season, we're not going to be sitting around saying, well, you know, they're looking a little shaky right now. How confident are you? It'll come up as long as they look, because they looked legitimately bad. It's not unfair to question when they play really badly for a long stretch. Um, That's the thing, though. Like, I think you can say you look like shit today without it also coming to, I think you're going to look like shit in the middle of May. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and that's fa- and that's fair. But I I think a lot of it was, and this is sort of you know, the the question that everyone was asking is, okay, if they look like shit at the end of the regular season when they start the playoffs, they're gonna be good enough to beat Indiana, even looking kind of shitty. Um, a will they flip the switch and come out play really well? B Will they, you know, eke by Indiana, but not really fix all those things that that we've seen or fix all those issues we've seen and maybe stumble in a later round? Or C, will they, you know, be able to use the games against Indiana to get to where they need to be and then, you know, sort of cruise from there? The answer has been A. They flipped the switch and they've just been dominating. Um, Now, the games were all fairly close against Indiana, not so much against Toronto, which surprised me quite a bit. I was surprised how uncompetitive the game seemed to be um and some of that's the final score like game three was like i said three point game through three and then they won by 20 something um but overall i think we're always going to question it but they're also always going to get the benefit of the doubt that they can do it until they don't um until they they until that time comes up when they can't flip the switch and they you know fall to some team that they should be better than um, until then, they're going to get that benefit of the doubt and will keep prognosticating um, during the regular season saying, you know, I just kind of want to. And this is why we wanted to get to the playoffs. This is why we didn't really care that much about the regular season, because we know that the team we see in the regular season and the team we see in the playoffs aren't the same team. You know, the other thing I think about with this in terms of like the regular season is just kind of like from a league perspective and. You know, and the Cavs had guys resting at certain points this year, and especially LeBron. You know, I think the other guys that rested some games here and there, it was really more injury-related. I mean, Kevin Love, for example, had the uh, the knee surgery in February. So I think they were kind of managing his minutes coming back, and, and Kyrie's had some uh, nicks and bruises along the way, so they were trying to preserve him a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I just I think back to that game. I think it was in March when the Cavs had a Saturday night primetime game at uh, the Clippers. And, you know, it was a game where I think a lot of people are really looking forward to it. I was, and then all three of the Cavs uh, top players were sitting out and, um, you know, the, the, the broadcast team, Van Gundy in particular, Mark Jackson to a degree, you know, really kind of dragged the Cavs for that. And, you know, I just, Where I'm going with this, I guess, is like, I feel like it becomes when the Cavs can show that they're this capable of going from what we saw then to what they look like now, how do you sell those regular season games? I mean, to me, it just seems like you're anybody who has a suspicion that like the regular season doesn't mean a whole lot to the real contenders in the league. 
nothing that's happening over this past month has done anything to disprove that theory. Yeah, and I mean, we we sort of said it all along, but I I think, I don't know about you, but even I was a little hesitant. Like, I wasn't 100% sure that this, that they'd be able to flip the switch again, because, and and we're going to get that way every year. They could do this every year for the next three or four years. Um, but you're still going to have concerns about it. You're, they're still, you're still going to be a little nervous, and that's just sort of the nature of the playoffs. But um, overall, they're going to keep getting the benefit of the doubt. They kind of have to because they've earned it. Yeah. You know, the other thing about all this that's kind of wild to me is, like, the reason that I got so frustrated during the regular season wasn't necessarily that I thought they were going to implode in the playoffs. It was, you know... When you get once you get the title and the pressure is off, you know, you you look at like Golden State after they won their title and they went last year and just kind of were a, a tour to force through the regular season and every game they played was an event and they put on a show. And I was kind of hoping that it would be like that for the Cavs in terms of, you know, just I mean, being fun to watch and there was not a whole lot of fun in the regular season this year. And, you know, cause it's like, you want to go have your fun in the regular season because once you get to the playoffs, then it's serious business. And, you know, there's, there's no effing around. And I felt like there were a lot of times in this series when it felt like the Cavs were treating this almost like a regular season. I mean, in terms of like putting on a show, I mean, there was that, that alley-oop off the board. I mean, we see LeBron pretending to drink a beer. Uh, there was the other game where uh, LeBron was out in the corner, um, spinning the ball in his hand with, uh, I think it was Ibaka right in his face. He was just spinning the ball in his hand like he was standing at the free throw line and just drilled a three in his eye. Uh, I mean, you see the bench just going nuts on all these uh uh, big plays up in Toronto. And that's become one of my favorite things is watching the Cavs bench when the team goes on a run on a road game because they just they, they they go so overboard with their celebrations. It's great. We just never saw that during the season. And I was like, oh, we're just not going to get that this year. And instead, we're getting it in the most important games of the season. Right. And maybe, maybe we're a little spoiled. You wonder if it's going to run out. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't expect um, if they're playing Golden State, you wouldn't expect it in the finals or anything. But um, I don't know that, I don't know that I think Boston is any better than Toronto, um, or Washington is any better than Toronto. They, I don't know that, uh, I think Washington probably still worries me a little bit more than Boston, but I don't really care either way, like we've said. And, uh, I don't know about you. I expect more of the same next series. Your bet with your old man is looking very strong right now. Well, yeah, I mean, at this point. Cavs would have to lose the Eastern Conference Finals for me to lose because I've got three and a half. So, um, and and we're at zero still on the meter for the uh, the, the loss meter in the playoffs. So, now I'm feeling great about that. Um, but uh, no, I mean it's like you said. For different reasons, I think those teams could it may maybe make things temporarily interesting. Um, I mean, if Isaiah Thomas goes bonkers or something for Boston, which I, I just I can't see that um, with with the way the Cavs. I mean, they're you know we we kind of bag on the Cavs defense all year, but I mean you look at them now. They're they're I think coming into today they had like the fourth best defensive rating of any team in the playoffs. I mean the Cavs are starting to play some defense, and it it looked a lot better in this series. So 
I, I, there's nobody else on Boston that I respect. So if you got one scorer, I think we could figure out a way to scheme against them. But Washington's a little bit more interesting just because you've got Beal and John Wall. Um, but again, I, I don't know. Um, it actually kind of, it leads me into the, the next question, you know, like just the state of the Eastern conference, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit going into this Toronto series. Like what happens to them if, uh, if they get run in the series with the Cavs and I mean, they got Molly whopped. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, that was four straight. And I think it's pretty clear the running on the wall, what their ceiling is right now in terms of them versus the Cavs and where they are in the pecking order in the East. I still feel like Toronto's the second best team in the East, but um, they're, they're not in the Cavs league and it's, it's not close. And the pieces that they added, um, you know, it, it, it did nothing to close the gap for them. They got a lot of pieces that could be going away after this year. Uh, if you're a Raptors fan now sitting here, would you want them to try to keep as much of this group together as you can, or do you try to blow it up and start over? See, it's, it's interesting. And I saw someone say this today online and we've kind of debated it in the past, but I think it's, it's starting to be, uh, it's maybe gained some validity here. Um, Boston has all these assets, right? They have all these draft picks and blah, blah, blah. And we're wondering, well, why didn't they move some of that stuff to get players? If you're an East GM, are you just waiting till LeBron's gone to make a move? I mean, that's not the worst idea. I mean, it's really not. And do you want to go all in and, you know, drop a bunch, drop big contracts on guys to, to get you bounced in the second round? I was thinking about this. Who was the last really, who's been the best free agent to sign with a team in the East other than on a non LeBron James team, whether it was like somebody signing on a team other than Miami. Um, I'm talking since 2011. So like since 2011, when uh, LeBron started going to his, his finals every year run, um, you know, so the, from 11 through 14 and then 15, 16, 17. Now who's been the best player to go to a team that LeBron was not on in the Eastern conference in the East. Wow. That's, that's a tough question. Um, do you have one? You said you were thinking about this. Do you have one picked out already? I mean, there were two that came to my mind. The one was, um, Chris Bosch staying with Miami, even after LeBron left. Um, so, I mean, he, he didn't like change teams, but I mean, does Dwayne Wade even count? Not at this stage in his career. Right. I don't think yeah, so. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like he's obviously the biggest name, but he's not. Yeah. Not I mean, that's the thing is like, there's some other names. I think Carmelo's come up, but, um, you know, the Knicks have never been, I mean, I think the Knicks got to the second round once, but, uh, I mean, they have not been a factor. I mean, you know, for all the talk that the East is the easier conference, I, I don't see anybody in a real hurry to, to like jump in and say like, Oh, all I have to go do is, is get by LeBron. You know, <laughs> maybe he's yeah, the only roadblock to get to the finals from the East, but he's a pretty big fucking roadblock and, and nobody seems in a real hurry to try to take him out. Yeah. I mean, 
And I, I saw someone tweet something today about Kyle Lowry rumored to sign with the Western Conference. Right. Team. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. At the same time, I don't get how that helps you either. Because the West is still harder to get through. And the Warriors are every bit as good as the Cavs with no signs of slowing down. Um, Spurs, I don't know if we think the Spurs will continue. I don't, I don't know what to think of the Spurs because they're, they're sort of bipolar at times. But by all means, they're in a very good position to be very good for a long time. You could, I guess maybe that's one. Marcus Aldridge signing with – or that's in the West, so that doesn't qualify. Right. Um, but – those teams are good, but do the, can those teams even afford to sign big name free agents that they don't already have? I feel like if you're signing with a Western Conference team at this point, you're signing with one of those, with one of the sub top, not the top three guys, um, and you don't really have a much better chance of doing anything there either. I don't think. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, we'll probably get into this more when things move towards the finals, barring something catastrophic happening. Um, I, I just, I'm having a really hard time envisioning any scenario where it's not Cavs Warriors part three. Um, oh yeah. I think that's, and I just, I don't know. That seems like it's a given at this point. Yeah. I mean, you always got to throw the old, uh, I mean, some, I mean, somebody gets hurt or something like that. And sure. Yeah. There's you know, and, I, and I guess if uh, the Cavs are playing the Celtics, if Kelly Olynyk is wandering around the floor, uh, that's always a possibility, but um, son of a bitch! <laughs> son of a I'm bitch! Just, I'm just, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm just aggravated yeah. with him again after the thing with Kelly Oubre the other night because it, it's just, you know, I, when I watched Oubre like pop up and and just knock a Linux on his ass, I just, oh man, that it, it was so satisfying. It, it just felt like that was on behalf of like a lot of people, even outside of Washington. Um, but I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a real interesting point in time for the league. Cause I, I just, I can't ever remember a, a time really in sports when there has been one team so far and away, uh, ahead of the field in its conference or if, in baseball in its league on both sides. And, you know, in, I you you sit here and you wonder like well okay at some point it's not going to be the Cavs and the Warriors in the finals and like we're not there yet we're not and and I don't know who's going to be the team to eventually break that up on either side. Um, right. I mean and, uh, the the closest that it came to was with uh, with Oklahoma City last year, and the Warriors went and took their best players. So you know <laughs> that. Uh, that I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. And I mean, they're pretty close to finishing off Utah here, and uh, you know they'll get one of the Texas teams in the conference finals. But man, I, I don't know. It's it's just an interesting time for the league, and you know it makes for a great series in June every year. But it's just you know, when I talk about like selling the league in the regular season, I mean that 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 becomes part of it too. You know how many? How, yes, I think the league always functions at its best when there are. Uh, a very small number of really great teams that, that can kind of carry the banner for the league. But um, how much is too much? You know, how, how, how far can you take that before, you know, it starts to become damaging if like 27 and a half teams show up in, in October on opening night, thinking they have no chance. 
Yeah, it's. Um, I think we've we've had this discussion. I think before about what's better for the league, uh, parity or a couple juggernauts and a bunch of also rants. Um, so I'm not. I don't know which one I think is. Um, I don't know the ones really better or worse. The time I think when it. If you look at the box office and and you look at the television ratings, having juggernauts has absolutely been a better formula for the league over the years. Sure, no question. The only time it's not going to be helpful is if one of those teams gets knocked out when they shouldn't. Like Cavs, Golden State Finals, just count money. That's all you're going to do. Like it's what everybody wants to see. The ratings will be through the roof. Fans will love it. People will get engaged again. It'll be awesome. If somehow Boston were to top the Cavs or, um, I don't know, eh, I think LeBron might be able to carry it. Even Honestly, even Golden State might be able to carry it enough. Um, but it's not going to be what it would be if they, those two teams were in it. No. No, probably not. <sighs> wow. Um, all right. It's four. We're at 40 minutes. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, I was not expecting to uh, already be talking about uh, Cavs Warriors, but, um, you know, we've got almost a month until that would that would be happening. But uh, I don't yeah, know. The NBA playoffs take forever. <laughs> well, they do, but... It, uh, it is wild. Yeah, I mean, it... Well, the, the, the... I mean, that schedule is laid out. It's, it's not designed with... Uh, a team sweeping multiple series. You know, it's not right. It's not conceived with the idea that you're going to play for a week and then take a whole week off and then play for a week and then take a whole week off. That's just what the Cavs make it. Um, and I thought that was hilarious, by the way, after I think it was game two, a Corver talking about that. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're just like, no, let's go get the sweep. And he's like, yeah, it's the playoffs. Let's, uh, you know, let's just go out and get this win. And they're like, no, trust us. Let's yeah, just trust me. <laughs> <laughs> what a, like a hysterical mindset, but it shows. I mean, it shows on the field, on the floor. Um, you can tell that they, that's what they expect to do. They don't expect to lose any games. Um, and so far that's, that's been the formula and it's worked. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll see what, uh, what a week, uh, week plus, off will uh, do for him this time. They they certainly look like uh, they're rounding into form. So, it's, uh, good shit. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, uh, it clearly benefits them. I think people have always at the, the rust versus rest question. That's um, been answered. It, it's been answered for the Cavs. I don't know that it's the same for every team, but for them, it's clearly rest. Because um, they came out. I mean, they came out on fire in Game One this series. Um, and I, I see no reason to expect any different next series. No, because I think what, what people tend to overlook with that when they have the week off is it's not like those guys are spending eight days floating around in a pool somewhere. Um, they're getting work in and, and they're getting practice time. And that really was like one of the most damaging things I think for the Cavs during the year was, as they were trying to integrate Lack new guys. Plastic. They never had any practices because there was always another game around the corner. And I mean, like March, especially with all the travel involved, they, they set like a, I think they had a franchise record number of road games in a month during March. So, um, yeah, they had a brutal March schedule. Yeah, it was really rough. So, you know, they were, um, 
those practices, they, they tend to, I don't, I don't know what all is going on in those practice sessions, but it's pretty clear that they're putting some new sets in. They're getting a chance to really uh, game plan for an opponent and, and they make very good use of that time because you could draw a pretty straight line uh, uh, correlation wise between um, rest and uh, practice time and performance. And, and just when they have a time to, to really prepare for an opponent, it, it's been, the returns have been really good. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's and that's sort of what they play for. They don't take it easy. They're not, you know, Ty Lue has shown he's he's not if LeBron says he can go, he's going to go. Um, he's not forced and rest on him, which has helped out a ton. Like I said, he'll take if he gives up three or four minutes of rest in this game and it, and it gives him an extra two days of rest. It's a no brainer. Absolutely. All right, so I think uh, you got anything else, or you? I, I think we might be at a good stopping point. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good put a wrap on it. All right, well, what do you say we try to come back and do another one of these before the next series starts? Because God knows we're going to have plenty of time to reconvene here. Maybe after we find out who the Cavs get in the conference finals. How's that sound? No kidding. Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, everybody out there listening, you know the drill by now. You could probably sing it along with me. Uh, go subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher or for you Android users, the uh, Google Play Music Store um, or really any sort of uh, podcast listening app that you might choose. And uh, you can stream all of our past episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. And go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Uh, I just I put up a, a link to a tweet today. Uh, somebody dug up on Twitter footage from it looked like basketball in the 1950s. Did you see this? Yes, I did. It's a, uh, it's a it, needless to say, it's a little bit, bit of a different game. The hook shot at the 45 <laughs> second with the hook. <laughs> I I I I about fell off my chair. I was laughing so hard watching that. So as I as I said on Twitter. Uh, I now know that the only thing stopping me from having a chance to play in the NBA was the fact that I was born about 45 years too late. So uh, you can uh, go on our <laughs> go on our Facebook page, check that out, give us a like on Facebook, and uh, yeah, I think that'll do it. So for Travis Yuley, this is Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.